hey, this morning we are doing something that is a pause. So next week we'll celebrate our birthday. It'll be amazing. It's, it's an incredible time for us to stop and celebrate all that God's doing. It's one time where we as a community get to be all together. So there's people who are like, I didn't know you went here. Yeah, I go to the second service. Oh, okay, cool, great. Um, many of you will see a lot more college students than you're used to in the first service, so that's great as well. And what's amazing is our college students actually wake up early for our birthday and come here, which is phenomenal as well. But fall is upon us. Anybody tired already? (laughs) Oh, Lordy. And so, I mean, my kids, school has started, soccer has started, and it is just a race. And from time to time, we do these things called Worship and Communion Sunday. And the reason is, is we want to pause and stop, and in a chaotic fast-paced, high-pressure world, just get to stop and be with Jesus. And so our prayer, and I love Christina in our prayer time earlier said it, our prayer for you this morning is that you would walk away refreshed, that, that you would walk away filled, that this moment would just meet some of the deep places of your soul, uh, that you would experience the overwhelming love of Jesus. Uh, and so there's, uh, we're going to just dive in. And so I don't have a sermon prepared. I have more of a devotional uh, prepared. And so if you got your Bibles, would you open them up to uh, John chapter 13? This is the setting for the Lord's uh, Supper. The communion is a moment when we remember uh, the great sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. There's actually just two ordinances in the church that Jesus commanded his followers to remember and consistently do. The, uh, one is baptism. Uh, baptism is this time where we publicly identify as followers of Jesus before others and say, I'm following you, no turning back. Uh, it's a beautiful picture of our death and resurrection with Jesus, of going down into the waters of baptism. Water always has this beautiful symbol of being washed and clean, and so dying and then being uh, rose, uh, raised back to life. If you've not been baptized, this is one of the things for us as followers of Jesus— just walking in obedience and following him. He says, come do that. Uh, Next week, we'll celebrate this. Communion, on the night uh, Jesus was betrayed, he set this up with his followers, and he took bread, and he broke it, and he passed. He said, this is my body broken for you. Now think about this. This is before his body was broken. So they didn't really get what he was saying, you know? And then he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. And they understood that because the new covenant that was outlined in Ezekiel and outlined in Jeremiah, Jeremiah, they had this idea and this picture in mind of what it is. But then he said, my blood poured out for you. And they don't really know exactly what all this means. And it's only afterwards that they get this incredible understanding of it. He says, but, but as often as you gather together, and that's why we have the communion set out every single week, and many of you partake weekly, that we'd gather and we'd remember the great sacrifice and love. Do this in remembrance of me. And so this morning we're taking just a solid time as a community to reorient our lives around the radical, unrelentless unre- uh, love of Jesus. And so if you got your Bibles, open it up to John chapter 13. This is the moments happening right before he's going to set all of this up. 
give you the context, Jesus has been traveling with his disciples for a little over three years now, training them, developing them day and night. And right before, you ever set up something and like maybe it's with your kids, you have this like special moment and you're excited about it, but then your kids totally screw it up, right? I mean, they get in a big old argument and you're like, no, we're supposed to do something special. We're supposed to love each other. You ever do that? You know, no, we're just supposed to be fun. Uh, Like this is this moment, like Jesus has this set up. It's his final supper, his final dinner with his disciples. And right before, as they're traveling there, his disciples get in a massive argument. And you know what they're arguing about? Who's the greatest? And Jesus is going, come on, guys. Are you kidding me? Three years, day and night. I've been teaching. I talked about the most important command. Remember that when it got asked that multiple times is love God, love others. And now you're about yourself. That happens. And then they go to the upper room and have this dinner. Pick it up in verse 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Now, if you're following along in your Bible or something, this is important to know. Circle this. Jesus knew. We're going to see a couple things that Jesus knew. And because Jesus knew, he actually did something about it. It's really important because most of you don't know who you are in Christ. Most of you don't know how much you're loved. Most of you don't really understand your identity and that you're indwelled by the Spirit of God. And so you don't live out that reality. And here's what it says. Jesus knew, and because he knew, he did something about it. Jesus knew, what? That the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to his Father. He knew his time was short. He knew he had moments left with these men that he's invested his life in. This is a critical turning point. Having loved his own who were in the world, it says he loved them to the end. I like another translation says it this way. He showed them the full extent of his love. That love to the end, that Greek word is telos. It does mean end, but it really means completion or fullness. Like in this moment, Jesus doesn't want them to miss how much he loves them. Like that's the foundation of everything else that is going to take place. Let me ask you, when was a time that you felt most loved? Maybe it was when someone like really listened to you, asked questions, and was thoughtful. Maybe it was an act of service. You know, maybe you're familiar with the five love languages, and it's when your spouse just served you, and you're like, wait a second, I didn't even know you knew how to clean the dishes, and hello, you cleaned all of the dishes and the house. Wow. Maybe it was some words of affirmation. Someone just spoke life, and you just felt so loved, and it was just maybe your love language is quality time. When is the last time you felt most loved? Jesus, in this moment, wants to make sure his disciples feel most loved. Now, think about the context. This is so cool. He wanted to make sure they felt most loved just after they blew it big time with the argument about figuring out who's the greatest. That may be a parenting strategy for some of us, by the way. I know my inclination is when my kids are blowing it big time, I don't necessarily go, I want to make sure you feel most loved. (laughs) 
I want to make sure you know what you did was wrong, and we correct this right away, and you don't talk to your mom or your brother that way again. Powerful moments. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. In fact, if you know the context, Judas had already worked out some deals with the, the, the ruling Jewish leaders to betray Jesus. Now, check this out again, verse 3. Jesus knew. What did he know this time? That the Father had put all things under his power, his authority, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. There was no insecurity in this next moment. He was not threatened by someone not really liking him or betraying him. And so... And so he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around them. Just take this in for a second. The disciples were in charge of planning the supper, getting everything organized. And they had one oversight. They show up to this upper room, and there was no one there. It was the lowest job of all jobs in their culture to be the foot washer. And there was no servant at the door to wash their feet. They've been tromping around all day long. They got nasty, dirty, muddy, and other stuff on their feet going on. And just think about it. One by one, they walk walk in this room, they see the bowl, they see the towel, and they see no one. They see the bowl, they see the towel, and yet there's an empty spot where someone else is supposed to be, and they walk past and go, yep, oh well. I mean, it's kind of like going after working a hard day, you know, maybe doing construction and not washing your hands, you know, after eating. This is the kind of picture here. They walk past one by one, and, and I'm just curious, the internal conversations. You know the external conversations they had about who's being the greatest and all that, but I'm curious about the internal conversations. If Peter walked in, and he's a little fiery, and he's going, man, I asked James and John to be on the foot washer, and they screwed up, and James and John are like, you know what, we... We, we delegated that to Thomas because we're leaders. We delegate things, right? And so we're going to give that to Tom. And by the way, before Tom was known as Doubting Thomas, he was known as Absent-Minded Thomas. He forgot everything all the time. That's not true. I just made that up. <laughs> what in the world? Now think about this. Twelve walk past a towel, a bowl, and nobody there. And they go and sit at the table. And Jesus sits down there too. They would recline. So the way their feet would be kind of situated would be close to the other person's other side. And Jesus gets up from the table. And they watch him. He doesn't say a word. He takes off his outer cloak, which at this point in an in in ancient Jewish dress... It would basically be getting into your skivvies, your underwear. Wraps a towel around his waist and then just comes to the feet of Andrew 
and begins to wash his feet, take the towel, dry it. And then he comes to the feet of John. He begins to wash his feet, take the towel, and dry it. And then he comes to the feet of Peter. (laughs) Oh, Peter. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? I don't think so. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. Don't you love, I love this. Like there isn't this big lecture from Jesus in this moment. How'd you forget this? How'd you miss this? How, how come you didn't, how come one of you just didn't step up? Don't you know who I am? And when Peter says, no, 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 you don't wash my feet. He says, no, 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 you don't get this, but you will. And then Simon, because he's kind of all in or all out either way, he says, "Uh, then, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. I want a bath. Give me a bath. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean. And then he says this little statement, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. The God of the universe is sitting around a table with 12 men that he's entrusting the ministry to move forward of his love and his grace, and that they're unwilling to even take on the role of a servant. He takes off his clothes, wraps a towel, and washes their feet. And then he says this, do you understand what I've done for you? Man, that's the question I I just want you to get this morning. Because we run past this with Jesus. Do you understand what he's done for you? Like, like, Like his love for you. Like the full extent of his love. A love that's reckless, a love that's wild, a love that's unrestrained, a love that stoops down and takes off clothes and washes dirty feet. Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. That is what I am now. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, uh, truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed, you will be happy, you will be hilariously overfilled with joy if you do them. You had this argument, who's the greatest? You're still wrestling, and you walk in, you see there's no servant there, and that's still fresh. And Jesus had just said that the greatest among you will be the servant of all, and there's no servant. I'm just curious if one of the disciples actually didn't forget. I wonder if Jesus dismissed the servant. He says, I, I, I got something for you tonight. This is my last night. And they're all blaming each other. I ain't doing that. No, I want you to see something. 
Jesus did for the disciples what the disciples were unwilling to do for Jesus. Walked into that room, humbled himself. A love, think about this, a love that doesn't care what other people think, but cares more about your need and taking care of who you are. A love that disrobes from all the kind of politeness and uppityness and trying to position oneself and just simply positions yourself to, to be in a place to serve. I think this is, this is incredible when you think about the love of God. It said that when Jesus finished washing their feet, now think about this. Judas was in the room. Jesus washed the feet of Judas, knowing full well that in a moments that were to come, he would be betrayed by that man. Listen, sometimes we have this problem with the boundaries of God's love. We set them in places he never set them. And for some, you think God's against you. For some, you think God's angry at you. Withholding his love until you get your life right. And if you would just begin to see that, that Jesus, he says, uh, John tells us earlier at the very beginning of his gospel, is the explanation of the Father. Like, you want to know what God is like? You want to know how God responds? You want to know what, what God does and what he feels? Look at Jesus. And Jesus in this moment is explaining the radical nature of uh, the love of a father. And yes, it will come to completion at the cross, but this is an intimate moment of personal love. For disciples who felt and would feel, think about this, would feel like such failures in light of the cross, of arguing over such a little thing. And Jesus says, I'm not going to beat you up over that. I'm just going to show you that I love you, I love you, I love you. You may even feel like you've betrayed me. I still love you. I will stoop down and wash your feet, and I'll take all the dirty places of your life, and my heart and my goal is simply to cleanse you, to purify you, to make you beautiful and whole, to touch you with the tender touch of a father that says you're okay and you're safe and you don't have to run anymore. I love you. You, I love you. I love you. And nothing can stop my love for you. That is this moment. When was a time when you felt most loved? Um, my kids, years ago, got me this coffee cup. It says, Best Dad Ever. Sorry, other dads. <laughs> you lost. <laughs> I, I remember when they first got me this cup, and so I have a 13-year-old, almost 14-year-old this month. Crikey. Um, I have an 11-year-old, and I have a 8-year-old. But back then, I had a 2-year-old, and a 5-year-old, and a 7-year-old. When I first got this cup, it was a cup on a Father's Day thing that was kind of cool. And I'm like, oh, that's great. 
I drink out of this cup almost every morning. It's worn over years and years. Now, this cup is so much more than just something that holds coffee. This cup is a memory machine for me. See, if I can tell you, like, when do I feel most love? I wrestle with that. I'm pretty pessimistic at times, I guess. I call myself a realist, but... Um, so when people give words of affirmation, I don't easily receive them. I go, well, that's not really true, and I saw this, and that wasn't really all that good. And... But there's something about a love of a kid. My kids don't do this quite as often anymore, but when they were this age and I'd come home from work, you know what they would do? Dad! Like total full-on yelling dad. And then they would sprint and I'd be tackled by them and they would cling. And in that moment, that's when I felt most loved. There was no pretense to their love. There was no couching it or somehow holding back their love. It just was them expressing their heart's delight that I was there. God delights that you're here. And I think for some, you walked in, and my heart is like, I want you to understand that question. Do you understand what I've done for you? Like, I have a love that's unrestrained for you. That whatever baggage and however dirty your feet are that you walked in with, man, I'm coming towards you. And I'm stooping down. And I'm not standing over you, lording it over you. I'm stooping down to serve and love you. That is the message of the cross. That is the message of our Savior. And the elements is bread. The wine or grape juice. Yes, there is a gluten-free option. There's so much more than just bread or juice. It's a memory machine. To remind us and bring us back to that visceral moment when you said, I understand that you love me. And his grace poured into your life. And like waves on the ocean, you were overwhelmed by his love. And you experienced his washing, redeeming grace in your life. And these elements are those moments that bring us back, bring us back again to him. Tim Keller writes this. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. For some this morning, you have never experienced or received or understood that God actually loves you. He likes you. He wants to be with you. And this morning, you call out to him, say, come help. Jesus, I believe. I don't get it all, but I leave. I believe you. And in that moment, he will meet you. And for some, you've been wandering, and you feel like you've come in with dirty feet. And you simply say, God, 
I felt and I've acted. What I knew, what I thought I knew about you was that you were standing over me, holding it over. And I believe today that you actually are the God who stoops low. You're not turned off by my nasty feet. In fact, you want to meet me there and pursue me. And so I want to invite the band to come up. We're going to take communion as this response to the overwhelming, incredible love of Jesus. And and as you take communion together, I I asked our team to actually serve it to you. And I would invite, take communion. We have lots of bread. Take it. Don't just like get a little crumb. Take it, you know. But they're going to read this over you. And I encourage you, take a moment, stop, process, allow the Spirit of God to speak to you. We have communion tables in the front and one in the back. Get up there. They're going to read this to you. Your heavenly Father loves you. He adores you. He doesn't look down on you, but stoops low in his tender care. Remember his reckless, wild love for you. This is your God. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you reveal the Father. You explain the Father. You tell us and show us what God is like. And Father, I pray in this moment for those who have been running from you, they would begin to turn their face towards you and experience your grace and love, your healing, your wholeness. God, I pray for the person who's, who's been on the edge and they're not sure whether God likes them and whether they should even step into this room, but you brought them here to hear from you that you just delight in. And God, may we as kids just simply return and just go ah, with a, an abandonment that just runs to the door and says, we're so glad you're here. In Jesus' name.